Welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, May 7th, 2023. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, is now available and can be purchased wherever finer books are sold. Peter has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. We're going to add to your uh, resume here, Peter, MC, right? Yeah, I, I, I certainly have been known to MC here and there, yeah. <laughs> so what's coming up in your MC, uh, in MC career? Uh, well, on uh, June 12th, I'll be MCing an event uh, involving Jerome Robbins and Jason Alexander, who's going to be getting an award. Um, but the week before that, I'll be doing what I seem to do every um Monday, first Monday in June, which is the Theatre World Awards. Uh, We came up with the winners this week. Um, The Theatre World Awards, in case you're unfamiliar with them, are awards that are given to people making their significant Broadway or off-Broadway debuts. So um, so if you were in Cymbeline last year and you were carrying a spear, we don't hold that against you. It's, <laughs> it's, the, it's really the role that makes us dive into the playbill and say, who is this person? My God, this person's great. You know, so that's uh, what we do. And um, we went uh, gender neutral this year, and yet six people, <laughs> six men won and six women won. But uh, but we did go gender, gender neutral, but it just played out the way it played so uh and it's really nice that some of them were very high profile people like john david washington from the piano lesson which uh and needless to say jody comer comer uh from that play whose name we always pronounce incorrectly uh but uh uh you know so those might have been very much expected but would you have expected emma fitzer price from becomes a woman uh the play that the mint theater company did uh, it's so nice that uh, our our voters. There were nine of us, and uh, so nice that nine of us uh, did. Well, many of the nine of us uh, thought she was uh, worthy. There were certainly some people you've heard of before, like Darcy Carton uh, from the Thanksgiving play. Uh, but uh, there were also people that were a little off the radar, um, like Lucy Fryer from The Wanderers and Callum Francis, who played what is now known as the Billy Porter role, um, but maybe mm-hmm. it'll be known as the Callum Francis role in Kinky Boots. So, um, and uh, so. Two people from Shucked um, were winners, Carolyn Innerbickler, uh, who plays the lead, and uh, Ashley D. Kelly, who plays one of the storytellers. And um, even if you're in a closed show, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be remembered, because Casey Likes was liked by us. Uh, he was in Almost Famous, and Amir Aronson from The Kite Runner, and Yaha abdul Madin too, from Top Dog Underdog, uh, were, were remembered as well. So um, it was it was a pretty um, nice group, um, and we're very glad that uh, we remembered, because the Tonys didn't, here in Abbasakera from Life of Pi. So... Um, those are our winners, and um, should you care to come on June 5th, um, just let me know, and you may be my guest, so uh, you know how to reach me. Uh, James always tells you at the end, so if you don't get the trivia question this week, uh, mm-hmm. which is an easier one than usual, by the way, um, then indeed you will um, you will be able to uh, let me know that you want to come. All right, so that is uh, your plans for June 5th, and when <laughs> right. I say your, I mean everybody listening here. So. <laughs> also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hi, 
<laughs> Michael, uh, I have been uh, I have been saying the wrong time for your upcoming meeting with uh, with Raul Esparza. So... No, no, we had a <laughs> screw up. We initially scheduled it at the wrong time, and then we had to change it. <laughs> so, so tell you, us, you, it was my up our fault, not yours. Yes, on Tuesday, May 9th at four p.m. Uh, at Ripley Greer Studios, uh, because Raul uh, Esparza. Our special guest uh, has a performance of that's Oliver that night. Yeah. Um, that was that was part of the problem because Encores doesn't normally do Tuesdays, but uh, this is a two week run of this show, and so I guess they figure they have the theater; they might as well do it. Uh, you know, um, since they've had their first week of performances already. Um, so yeah, and uh, Raúl is—I um, I have to tell you—this has turned out to be the most popular of all the drama desk live interviews I've done so far. Uh, and all the other ones were well attended. It was Celia Keenan Bolger uh, was one, and then Jonathan Groff and Santino Fontana. But maybe it's because um, Raul is partly because he's at the head of this show that's in the news right now. Uh, this really, really huge response uh, for this event on Tuesday at four at Ripley Greer Studios, uh, where we're going to talk about not only Oliver, but of course, Raul's career in general. Um, Michael, you saw the show. I did not. Um, mm. Do you think it might move? Well, I think, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess we're going to talk about that momentarily, right? I can. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to do a re- review of uh, Oliver and we'll, uh, that was my first question as, as well too, Peter is, uh, Will it move? Because mm-hmm. we're hearing lots of things about this uh, yeah, yeah. this production. Yeah. And by the way, speaking uh, on the on the subject of awards, um, both Peter and I got to go to the reception for the nominees for the Cheetah Rivera Awards mm-hmm. in dance, and that was uh, that was a lot of fun. I got an amazing photo with Cheetah that several people have told me I have to frame, so I'll send <laughs> that along. <laughs> but that event is coming up on Monday, uh, May twenty second, at the Skirball mm-hmm. Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you've never been to a uh, Cheetah Rivera Awards, they're they're always a lot of fun. You might want to check that out. All right. So uh, before we get into the big news of the week, which of course was the Tony Award nominations, uh, I wanted to mention a few things. There was uh, something that like dominated television screens from uh, <laughs> from. Hour from morning till evening yesterday on the third, uh, uh, not the third of May, the the sixth of May, which was uh, the coronation of King Charles, and it made me start thinking about that Broadway play back in November of 2015, when Michael, Peter, and I got together and talked on a Sunday morning about their experiences with uh, watching the Broadway production of King Charles the Third. Uh, I'll have a link to the old episode in the show notes, but I thought it was really interesting because both Michael and Peter talked about how um, how this was interesting that it it, it could be uh, you know could it be conflict between mm-hmm. uh, Charles and Harry versus Charles and William, and so Peter, I, I wanted to see if you had any thoughts about uh, about this production from 2015 that you could remember. No. Not a thing. Um, only that I liked it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, you know, really, we, we, that was eight years ago. Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah. Uh, Given that I see an average of 250 shows a year, you know, that adds Mm. up. So, uh, no, I remember liking the play immeasurably. And I I don't know, does this mean uh, with his coronation that indeed um, we won't see this play again? Is it um, is it now moot under those circumstances? Uh, The one thing I'd like to do if I were in London, seriously, this is the type of person I am for better or worse. I would definitely go see Phantom again if they changed the name of the theater to his Majesty's Mm. Theater as opposed to her, which I imagine Mm -hmm. has got to happen sometime um i imagine i think that's what happens that they uh every mm-hmm. time the sex change of a monarch uh, that they mm-hmm. do that so um so i'd like to uh, go to his majesty's theater having been to her majesty's theater a couple of times <laughs> i was saying that there's a movie house called the prince charles theater uh, but it's a movie house and they have a big sign in front of it that says no we are not changing the name <laughs> No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Really? Wow. That's what I saw, you know. Who knows with uh, yeah, the yeah. Ads these days, you know, yeah, if that's real they, or not. <laughs> yeah, and there might be some public outcry on that, you know. Who knows? Yeah. Um, <laughs> some people take the monarchy very seriously. You know, so. Michael, any thoughts about uh, King Charles III? Do you remember it? Well, like Peter, I remember liking it very much, yeah. but I don't remember any details. So uh, from what you said... Uh, apparently, the in the, in the play, the the conf, the main conflict represented was between Charles and William, mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, and yeah, that is interesting. I uh, I uh, my little sort of my closest connection to the coronation was I have a friend uh, who has been in London, uh, you know, for the for uh, some time now. I mean, as, visiting, and he was there, and he said uh, I had read that Prince Andrew was booed. Um, yesterday at yeah, some point did, so while that, yeah. driving to or the event or something like that. And, and I, I passed that information along to my friend and he said that he had run into him a, a few days ago uh, with a small group of, uh, uh, I mean, he, my friend was, there was a small group of people somewhere and, and suddenly uh, Prince Andrew appeared and apparently, Oh, they, oh, it was Easter. Uh, it was uh-huh. Easter Sunday. And they said, Happy Easter. And he said um, that Prince Andrew looked uh, sort of disoriented because he expected to be booed. <laughs> but, uh. instead, but instead, everyone said Happy Easter. And he, he was a little taken aback. Uh, so anyway, for, for what that's worth. Ironically, while I... Well, Andrew is different than Harry, but uh, Andrew's got his own set of problems. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, well, although I wasn't in London for the coronation, I was, ironically enough, in London when uh, the Queen died. Oh, right. And right. Um, I, I, I was actually on my way to see a production of Dr. Faustus and stopped into a hotel uh, just to pass time reading. And there it was on the TV. So um, so I'll always remember that um, as time goes on, as time goes by. <laughs> well, not a day goes by. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah. So uh, before we get on to our main event, I also want to remind everybody that uh, Jan Simpson's All the Drama, the, uh, where this month she talks about the 1983 Pulitzer Prize winner Night Mother by Marsha Norman, uh, is out already for our Patreon supporters. And uh, if uh, you are not a Patreon supporter, you'll be able to listen to it uh, next week on May the 12th. It's going to come out to the public feed, but... Uh, Again, Jan is hitting it out of the park. These are just such fascinating uh, series of podcasts that she's doing with the uh, Pulitzer Prize winners. Mm. A friend so, of mine was involved um, in some capacity with um, 
Night Mother. And uh, when he went to the first reading, you know, he was just stunned at how powerful it was. But he also was repulsed and said to the guy next to him, my God, who would write a play like this? And the guy said, my wife. So <laughs> oh. that was a bit of a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, take a listen to Jan's, uh, per, uh, Jan's podcast of uh, – all the drama. It's, it's, it's so interesting. Uh, such a great perspective. So the nominations came out this week for the uh, Tony Awards. We're in the height of our, uh, our award Aren't season we? frenzy. <laughs> uh, and I'll, I'll start to list the Tony nominations by production. Some like it hot leading with 13, uh, and Juliet and New York, New York and Shucked with nine. Kimberly Akimba with eight. Sweeney Todd with eight. Ain't No Mo with six. A Doll's House with six. Into the Woods with six. Leopoldstadt with six. Parade with six. Uh, and it goes uh, down from there. It's uh, It was quite uh, a, a, a difficult season for anybody who was producing on Broadway because there was so much so much good stuff that lots and lots of people who you would think uh, should have gotten a nomination were left out. And so let's talk about those things. So, Peter, was there anything that really shocked you uh, from the nomination standpoint? You bet. As I mentioned, uh, the gentleman from Life of Pi, I was very surprised at that. I was very surprised that um, Laura Linney wasn't nominated for Summer 1976. That really um, took me for a loop. I, I never expected that to happen. And um, But uh, I know that a lot of it has to do with how many people are eligible. And so um, right. while there are so many people in the Best Actor um, category, or there well there were five um there are only four in the um in the best actress in, in a play category so um that has a lot to do with it um, for example there are six um in the leading role in the musical which um again illustrates the fact that broadway is musical heavy and um needless to say has been for some time but um but those those were the two that really stuck out to me that i expected um much more from happening um but i'll tell you the one that i was really glad um to see happen uh, perhaps more than any other, was Brandon Uranowitz and Leopold Stat. Um, a, a marvelous performance, almost to the point at which you'd say he was the lead. Almost. I mean, it's it's really divided up very, very equally in Leopold Stat. So it's very hard to really say who's the lead in that play. But um, he seems to be only inches away from being the lead. But I was very glad that it wasn't one of those times when people said, well, he's not quite the lead and he's not quite the featured. And, the, and sometimes those people just don't get nominated at all because mm. of that um, little strange um, paradox. So um, so I was very glad to see that happen. But Oscar Isaac inside in Sidney Bruce's window? My God. You know, I I went again last night, and I have to say, I can't imagine how this guy gets through this twice in one day, because this is a two-hour, 40-minute play. Now, it was three hours at BAM, and they've cut some. And uh, I, I can't say I remember exactly uh, where the cuts were saying, oh, I missed that, or, oh, I remember it, bam, blah, blah, blah. No, I can't do that. But but nevertheless, um, it's obviously tighter than it was. But still, at two hours and 40 minutes, I don't know how this guy does it twice in one day. And thank God, you know, I, it was at 7 o'clock last night. And I said to myself, my God, he does this twice in one day, and you are telling me 
they, they can't start the matinee at two. They can't because that would be over at, you know, 540 and <laughs> 440. And, you know, that's very little time. But they have matinees at one o'clock and seven o'clock for whatever reason, rather as opposed to the conventional two and eight on Saturday. Um, but I really felt bad that he wasn't nominated. And um, but I was very glad, very glad indeed that Miriam Silverman, who has a marvelous second act moment, um, was remembered. I thought that was terrific. Uh, so I really like that quite a bit. But um, those are the ones that really uh, stuck out to me. Um, I was a little surprised. I, this is not a criticism. I was surprised to see Ruthie Ann Miles nominated for Sweeney Todd because the Beggar Woman doesn't have all that much to do. I'm not saying she wasn't marvelous. I'm just saying she doesn't have that much to do. And I think she'd be the first to admit that as well. So, um, and of course, I was delighted to see Betsy Wolf and Juliet nominated because um, we go back a long way to the, when she was a student at CCM when I was lecturing there. So, um, but um, there were things that were no surprises at all. I mean, there's no surprise that Bonnie Milligan is is nominated for Kimberly Akimbo since she's so magnificent in it. Um, and um, but I was also um, delighted to see that um, both David Zayas and Carrie Young for Cost of Living were nominated because you know after all that's a limited run play. It was a while ago. It's easy to forget. Except it's not easy to forget with these two people in it. So uh, that was very impressive to me. So those were my immediate thoughts on the uh, Tony noms this year. Okay, Michael, how about you? Yeah, related to what you just said about cost of living, uh, there was an article somewhere recently, I forget where, that uh, the closed shows did quite well this season in terms Mm -hmm. of nominations, Mm -hmm. which is not always the case. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, as it is, the the, the spring is always, the season is always backloaded to a, a large extent. Look at the incredible number of openings we've had in the past few weeks. Sure. Uh, and so if um, but when uh, shows that are closed get nominated, that maybe gives producers impetus to say, well, you know, maybe it's not so terrible if we open in the fall <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, and just kind of spread things out a little bit. Because, as I've said many times, when so many things open in just a few weeks in uh in April, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to focus on anything. <laughs> um, uh, the, the, you know, the, the things don't get as much attention as as they should because we're already on to the next one. So anyway, I think that that was a wonderful thing. I, I'm also kind of flabbergasted by Laura Linney's omission, although I'm sure, Peter, it's for the exact reason that you said there just were not enough uh, potential nominees at shows uh, to add another one. But I still think that almost that I think that's so embarrassing uh, that she wasn't nominated and Jessica Hecht was uh, that maybe they could have made just like when it when the voting panned out, they could have gone back and said, you know, let's just make an exception <laughs> and add the next the next highest, uh, v- you know, vote getter although maybe she wasn't the next highest vote getter mm-hmm. uh, so uh, i mean i suppose that's possible but uh, either way I, I i think it's very unfortunate and l- doesn't look good uh but that's you know that's life um isn't it uh i i've been saying to many people that it, um you know in, in a in a just world in my opinion, there would be no nominations for the books of either New York, New York, or Some Like It Hot, because I think they're both pretty terrible. And on that note, um, I should say uh, uh, an omission on my part, um, that when I was uh, 
criticizing that that book of New York, New York uh, so severely last week or whenever it was. I I placed it all on the shoulders of David Thompson. But in fact, this is a, another case where uh, Sharon Washington is um, is credited as the co-book writer. So, of course, I have no idea how much uh, one of them contributed as opposed to the other uh, as compared to the other. But uh, but that is the credit. So I uh, I should I don't want to uh, not mention her, even as I would not want to not mention her if I really like the book, because that's what the credit is. So um, I apologize for that, for leaving that out. Hmm. Hmm. So uh, back in the uh, in, back in the Tony Awards nominations, uh, I just wanted to hit a few of the top level categories mm-hmm. and see uh, you know reinforce what you're saying here. You had in best original score, you had almost famous open and closed K part K pop open and closed uh, nominated against Kimberly Akimbo, Shucked, and Some Like It Hot. So the, uh, it's reinforcing exactly what you've said before, that uh, maybe this is a, a shift among, uh, uh, among you know, thoughts about opening in the fall. But also the main reason for that is yeah. that so many of the musicals are jukebox musicals and scores are ineligible. Right, right. Yeah. It was amazing. This has to be the first time that an Andrew Lloyd Webber show got no nominations whatsoever. Yeah. I haven't checked that, oh, but right, it has yeah. to be. It has to be. Yeah. Um, you know, even the early ones uh, or even the ones that didn't um, do it. Maybe I'm wrong. Did By Jeeves get anything? Maybe it didn't. But um, yeah, I, I forgot about Yeah, I, I forgot about that until just this second. But good luck. Lord, um, that really is quite an indictment when um, mm. uh, that an Andrew Lloyd Webber show gets not. And of course, By Jeeves was a small show. Right, it, it was almost under the radar. I mean, it was at the um, the Helen Hayes Theater, and <laughs> um, and under those circumstances, you know, that alone because uh, that's one of the smallest houses on Broadway. So um, uh, yeah, it, it, I just checked. No, the best that um, By Jeeves could uh, claim is Martin Jarvis for with the Theater World Award. So this was not the first time. So I take that back. But nevertheless, um, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, By Jeeves ran seventy three performances, right. and um, that's certainly not a long run for an Andrew Lloyd Webber show. Though again, this is a, a very different um, Andrew Lloyd Webber show. I will grant you, but um, the question becomes uh, in terms of <laughs> Bad Cinderella, which is this point is racked up forty five. If indeed it's going to pass seventy three, frankly, I expected a closing notice, um, and it was funny because Danson put up one, which I didn't expect. I mean, I, I'm mm. not saying. Danson should have been there for the long haul, but I'm still very surprised that Danson gave up so easily, and I'm surprised that Bad Cinderella didn't say, well, look, no nominations whatsoever. It's going to be very hard for us to have any um, publicity. Uh, what are we going to say? So um, so I was a little surprised. I expected a closing notice um, on, on Wednesday morning, and um, um, I don't think that um, A Beautiful Noise having no nominations uh, is going to hurt it terribly much. Ironically enough, I was giving a speech on um, 
the day the nominations came out and I was talking to a group of people uh, who were going to see a beautiful noise. Hmm. And there I was talking about the assets of a beautiful noise that you'll have this wonderful time at this show and you'll sing along to sweet Caroline and so on and so forth. And I was petrified. Somebody was going to raise a hand and say, Hey, if it's so great, how come it got no Tony nominations? Thank God. Nobody uh, said that or knew that. I don't know which, but nevertheless, um, you know, and I still think they had a good time, you know, because they were interested in seeing a Neil Diamond show. So that's fine. But I never, expected it would get no nominations no and i would think that with sets costume and lighting the bad cinderella would have come in somewhere but it was not to be yeah so bad cinderella is playing uh, about 65 percent capacity wow. in the mid in the mid 500s 500,000 in grosses but i wonder if they're gonna attempt to do a number at the tony awards and and boost themselves over the summer uh uh, we'll have to see what happens there, but certainly, yeah, I, I think that uh, they did close pretty quickly in London. Uh, yeah, right and, right. and we'll have to. Yes, and, and it went. Right. It was a kind of a hasty closing, uh, and with fraught with a lot of complaints about how it was gone about. So yes, yes, I, I, I figured that they're going to be a little bit more delicate about how they'll handle it here. But maybe they're going to try to. Uh, let's see. It opened in. Fe- well, it started. It started running in February. The opening was in March. So March, they're just about to get to grand rights. So well, yeah. Some people feel that, um, and I have no idea if this is true, that Lloyd Webber would keep it open with his own money. Uh, because yeah. it is his only show on Broadway at the moment. I guess that would depend on exactly how badly it's doing. Mm. Uh, you know, maybe they want to hold the Imperial Theater for a phantom. Well, that too. Yes, people have <laughs> people have said that. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I was a little a little surprised that Camelot got a nomination because I did not like it. But uh, but <laughs> really? I, I, I you didn't. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that yeah. Surprise. Shocking, shame. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, um, uh, I, I didn't check what, 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 were there revivals? Were there any revivals that were passed over for Camelot, uh, for nominations? Mm. Uh, I guess there weren't as many as there have been in past years, but there's no question that, um, the ones that <laughs> were selected are ones that we expected to be selected. It wasn't. It wasn't like how could they nominate X and, and not Camelot because those right. other, those were really well received um, revivals. So it, it's it's not a mystery to me that um, that it didn't happen. Oh, by the way, I have a little bit of I, I guess a scoop here that I'm going to slip in All here right, because here it go. seems like. Uh, but a very reliable source tells me. That I don't know when it'll happen because it depends on how long Camelot runs, obviously. But the next musical at the Beaumont is going to be Floyd Collins. Oh, I did hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that, but I did hear that. Ah, yeah. Michael, I just chose Best Revival of Musical and Camelot got nominated. No, that's what I said. I was surprised. Uh, did I? Did I misspeak? Did somebody get, I don't know. No, did my, somebody my get locked fault, out? Yeah. Did somebody get bl- blocked? No, no, no. What I was saying was I was surprised that it did get nominated. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, uh, right. yeah. And, I, and I was then, wondering if there I'm... were any other revivals that uh, were not, or if, it, or if they just had to fill out the category with Camelot. I apologize. I That's okay. Um, That's okay. 
So the revival of the musical Into the Woods, uh, which when they announced it, I was like, that was this season? It seems yeah. so long ago. Uh, Camelot, Parade, and Sweeney Todd. So uh, will the will the Sondheims all split the votes or what's going to happen? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. No, I mean, um, the reach of Sweeney Todd is is so great. Um, and Into the Woods was more of a concert uh, than um, than a really stage show. So I think that's going to work against it, even though it was very, very well received. I mean, amazingly received to the point at which I remember predicting that this would might be the first one of Sondheim's show to run a thousand performances. That didn't remotely happen. But nevertheless, um, at the time when the reviews were so glorious and you attend the show and people were just cheering like crazy i fully expected a much longer run but when you come right down to brass tacks it was a glorified concert a glorious concert and a, but a glorified one well sweeney todd is a production so um so i can't imagine that um that indeed um there's going to be much splitting of the votes there well but even if there is splitting of the votes it may not matter because i think parade's going to win anyway oh you do surprised. yeah mm-hmm. i wouldn't be surprised yeah i think i think so yeah yeah okay so, uh, Alan Teasley, one of our listeners in the chat room, asked uh, Michael a question. Michael, do you think that Danson had a better book than Camelot? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that favorite moment. Um, yeah. <laughs> why don't we do that number? We couldn't get the rights. Oh, that was a stellar moment in Broadway musical theater history. Well, um, yeah, but I, I guess the answer, Michael, is that you think that Danson has a better book than both Camelot books, you know, so. Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny, um, Linda and I watched um, the 1982 video of the Richard Harris production that was at the Winter Garden uh, yesterday. And um, she came away saying, um, I, I really like the original book much better. So uh, mm. uh, I, I forget. Do you feel that it's? Do you feel they're both terrible losers? Or um, it, yeah, yeah. Do you ask me that, Lester? I, I, to clarify, I think some of the original book is wonderful. Uh-huh. For example, the end of both acts uh, is uh, extremely well written, mm-hmm. and in any production of Camelot that I've seen previously, the end of the second act, where um, uh, Guinevere and Lancelot uh, encounter. Uh, Arthur on the battlefield, uh-huh. just as yeah. the, the battle is about to begin and all these lives are going to be lost. And this is all because of this, you know, this love affair, uh, whether or mm-hmm. not it actually was consummated and how mm-hmm. all these three people really love each other. But they, their their lives have been destroyed and, and, and a war is about to happen because of all of that. Uh, it's incredibly moving, but somehow not in this production. Uh, so I don't like what Aaron Sorkin did. So really the original uh, book wins out on points with you. I mean, wow, that's something. I, yes, I would say, I would say that. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, uh, in the play revival category, we have, uh, August Wilson's the piano lesson, a doll's house, the sign in Sidney Brewstein's window and Susan Laurie Parks's top dog underdog. Uh, which said interesting uh, set of plays here. Uh, do you have any thoughts on these these four productions? I wonder if indeed um, the sentiment involving Lorraine Hansberry, who a lot of people thought 
was going to get um, the theater named after her in which this play is playing. A lot of people predicted that the that the court theater would be the Lorraine Hansberry Theater. It turned out to be the James Earl Jones Theater, and Lord knows that he has um, a greater career than she did, but of course, she died at 35, and had he died at 35 and she'd still be writing at his age, it might have been a different story. But... Um, but I just wonder if there's going to be some sort of tribute to her in that way. Um, it, there's no question this is um, a very messy play, and there's certainly a lot have been written about the fact that what might have been done had she been healthy at the time, and she wasn't. Um, my memory of the original situation was that she died and they closed it. Um, I found out recently that's not true. Um, they closed it, and two days later she died. Mm. But I, I, I still remember so vividly being um, in a uh, in my car, well, my father's car for that matter, near Harvard Square and getting Variety, which I used to get every Wednesday faithfully, paying my thirty-five cents for Variety and opening up to the legit section and um, and seeing that she had died because in those days, you know, the pre-internet days, and uh, that uh, there was very little information on theater, especially in Boston where I grew up. So, so I still remember exactly where I was because I had no idea she was sick. You know, I mean, again, I, my finger wasn't on the pulse by any stretch of any imagination. You know, so. Um, so it really was amazing to me that that had happened. And even though I had been following the grosses every week and seeing the sign, Sydney Bristol Winslow was not um, certainly a hot ticket. I was still very surprised to see that um, that's what the situation was. So there may be some sort of uh, feeling about that. And um, <clears throat> who knows? Um, I, I will say that that the other three, to me, were on on the whole more successful um, in in doing what they set out to do, uh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Sidney Bristine really uh, came through as as a tribute to Lorraine Hansberry. Hmm. Michael, any thoughts about this category? Uh, well, as I may have mentioned, I haven't seen Sidney Bristine yet. I'm going later this week, but I, I only found out yesterday. Uh, and now Peter is uh, is confirming, and I'm I'm quite surprised to hear that it has been cut down considerably in length since Bam. Uh, I'm I would have thought that even though everyone uh, almost everyone complained about the length at <laughs> right. Bam, that would be sacrosanct. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, sacrosanct because uh, they sure. wouldn't know what to cut without you know going against the wishes of sure. Miss Hansberry. Sure, uh, sure. But maybe, I don't know, maybe they uh, were there indications of what she would cut or were there things that were put scenes that were put back in? Uh, not that not that I know of. Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, so I, I can't comment on that because I haven't seen it yet. I, I really did love the, the piano lesson. I thought it was brilliantly, brilliantly done. By the way, I mean, um, James, I remember a few weeks ago when you you, you were um, vague purposely, but you knew this was happening. You knew that this mm -hmm. play was moving to yeah. Broadway. And but it's just amazing to me when you look at the dozens of producers uh, involved in it, um, how it happened so quickly that all these people uh, got together and raised money to bring it in. I mean, that's amazing to me. Well, they, they might have had some, you know, they might have started that process earlier uh but in, in knowing that it it might be well received and might they might want to move it to broadway but but yes either way it's uh 
Um, they, well, the thing they didn't know is that the theater would be available. Mm-hmm, we should remember right. that. Yeah, that, that was a key, you know, yeah, key that's fair. thing here. You know, and not yeah. only a theater, but it happened to be the, the James Earl Jones Theater, which mm-hmm. is such a wonderful, perfect fit because of the, mm-hmm. you know, the African-American connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking at this list of producers, Seaview, Sue Wagner, John Johnson, Philip Audible, Sony Music Masterworks, things like this, <laughs> Jeremy O'Harris, uh, these, the Schubert Organization, uh, these sort of all, there's a lot of names here, Concord Theatricals, Creative Partners. Mm-hmm. Invisible Wall Productions, uh, Sally Cade Holmes. We know Sally Cade. Um, these are all people who are related in some point, at, at some way, to each other. Uh, it, it this this list doesn't surprise me. I, I don't think this list took. I think this was five or six phone calls, and then all these things fell in. Well, it may very well have been, but uh, I remember when you said, uh, "I think we're going to have an opening." You, yeah. you said more than think. Uh, but there's going to be an opening uh, that right, we're yeah. not expecting. Both Michael and I were very skeptical, <laughs> <laughs> very, and for good reason. <laughs> um, so uh, this was a miracle. Yeah, the um, uh, before my time in 1972 on January 26th, 1972. To January 29th, 1972, so three days, there was a Broadway production of Sidney Brewstein's Window. Which was a quasi-musical. There were songs in it. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't um, business as usual for this play. Um, It uh, it definitely had, I think, like five songs in it. I think Gary William Friedman was involved. Oh, and are none of them in this one? No. No, it it really was a concerted effort to semi-musicalize it. Um, So uh, odd, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I I, again, I I wasn't around to see it. Um, I don't mean I wasn't alive, but I wasn't in town to see it. And um, but um, there's, but I remember was it was sort of touted as a musical, probably to get people in there. But um, but really, um, there were songs. Featuring songs by Gary William Friedman, William Friedman featuring, yeah. featuring songs and lyrics by Ray Errol Fox, has uh, a mus- musical that's, director that's just, Max Scheffler, yeah, orchestrator, yeah. arranger. Yeah. So, uh, well, how long it, was that running time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, good point. And Rhoda Levine, uh, who um, was the original choreographer of the Grass Harp, uh, did choreography. So, really, if there's a choreography credit, you know, something must have been going on there that seemed like a musical. <laughs> so, um, but, um, but I, I think it's only five songs. Mm. So in the best musical category, we have and Juliet, Kimberly Akimbo, New York, New York, Shucked, Some Like It Hot. So, uh, any surprises here? Are we, we, uh, are we surprised about any of these things or, uh, did somebody get left out that we felt should have been in here? I don't think so. Uh, no, um, it may very well be that many of us feel that the category is stuffed with unworthy candidates more yes. than uh, who got shut out. Um, but I, I, Beautiful Noise does what it sets out to do, but I was glad not to see it get a nomination because, uh, again, a jukebox musical. And again, um, I have said so many times that you don't need to hear me see it again, but, but I'm going to say it again that um, if this is Neil Diamond's real life, it wasn't really a very interesting one. <laughs> So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, I would normally maybe be upset by the nom- the nomination of of, of 
a jukebox musical, but I I guess I make an exception for Anne Julia because I just thought it was absolutely delightful and very, very clever. And of course, uh, you know, it's not nominated for score because it wouldn't be because uh, all of those songs mm-hmm. are pre-existing. So I have no problem with that personally. Uh, and I, I hope um, Kimberly Akimbo wins because first of all, it's, it would be my choice in terms of quality, but also I think it would need it more than any of the others. I, I totally agree with you about Anne Juliet. I loved Anne Juliet. I had such a great time seeing it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that I can't imagine what they're going to do for a number on the Tony Awards, but I think it's going to be the viral hit after the fact. I think they're going to sell a lot of tickets for Anne Juliet and also, I don't know, does anybody know? I, I don't know off the top of my head. Does it have a national tour out there right now? If not, this would be a great time to launch a national tour right after the Tony oh, Awards. Oh, uh, yeah, there'll, there'll definitely be one. There's no question about oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if it is, has one sure, yet. Sure, But, I mean, sure. certainly that's going to be great. And then the best play, Ain't No Mo, Between Riverside and Crazy, Cost of Living, Fat Ham, and Leopoldstadt. Uh, any surprises? Anybody missing? Yes. The surprise there is that the, uh, the Riverside and Crazy play was nominated at all from the vantage point that it wasn't a new play. I was very surprised that they um, allowed it in. Mm. Um, I, I, would, I would have thought that uh, I, there must be a rule on how many years um, that um, you can go with by still being a best play before the shelf life wears off in that category. Uh, that must be the case, but um, but to me, this is not a new play, and it shouldn't have been in that category. Uh, Michael, any thoughts? Not really. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and then anything? Uh, you know, we're gonna have our prediction show in a couple of weeks where we all predict what's gonna what will win what should win type well of maybe thing. what we maybe what we should talk about is is this writer's strike going yeah. to oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. have a tremendous effect on the tonys uh, mm-hmm. i i don't know the do you does anyone have any special information about that i don't No. uh you know uh broadway Briefing uh, did something mm. about the, the writer strike, or and I think mm. maybe Deadline also did something, wrote some stuff about the writer strike and what's going to happen there. Uh, I mean, goodness, we have a full month until uh, the Tony Awards, so I mean, maybe people are crossing their fingers and hoping it gets resolved before then. Oh, I'm sure they're they're doing that. Uh, and so maybe it's moot, but we'll see. Mm. My uh, guess it'll be solved by then. My guess. I would think so. <clears throat> yeah. Because obviously it's not just the Tonys that are affected. Indeed. <laughs> it seems like they are very, very par- far apart. Are they? Okay, then you may. Uh, yeah. All right. It, it seems like they really are. Uh, I looked just uh, curse. Uh, I took a cursory look to see if there was any information about Between Riverside and Crazy and the Tony Ward decision to let it compete mm-hmm. as not a revival, but I don't see anything here. I was hoping that they, <clears throat> uh, that there would be something that would, that would explain what you're saying, Peter, because I totally agree with but you. But wait, I, I, I'm sorry, excuse my ignorance for a moment here, but was the previous production off-Broadway? 
Yeah, but that doesn't yeah, but matter if it's it, a well, major usually, production. Well, is that the first? Is is this the first time that a, a play has played off Broadway and then had its Broadway debut and been nominated? Well, so much time later. That's the issue to me. Oh, so much time later. How do you mean? What does that have to do with it? Um, so Riverside and Crazy was like five, seven years ago at Second yeah, Stage. Yeah, I, I would like think. That. I would think that I that mean, wouldn't you make know, a difference. Like Dear Evan Hansen at Second Stage was just a one-year, you know, yeah. next season. It was oh, Hamil- Hamilton from the public to the uh, yeah. To- usually they come much quicker. I mean, and and it, it's not even though Stephen um, was was in it again. I mean, it wasn't the same cast or anything like that. So it wasn't and not it. the same production. Mm-hmm. So that that that's mm-hmm. that's a big difference, right? <laughs> it's not the same production. It's not, um, and I can see where you would feel that that would make it eligible right. um, under those circumstances. But to me, um, too much time has passed for it to be considered um, a new play. But that, that's that's where I come from more than anything else. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> it's very squishy. I'm not offended or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. no, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck to it. You know, I mean, it's, it's it's a terrific evening. I was very lucky to see it uh, twice in two days. Um, and my, it did something very interesting with its uh, streaming thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, that too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I wonder, uh, I, I know there's been lots of streaming productions in the last couple of years, but it's been, has there been a concurrent Broadway streaming production? Sure, I, that is. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't know off the top of my head if if Rob Johnston were here. We <laughs> um, Jody Comer, or Comer's play um, is streaming, <laughs> isn't it? I heard oh, that. Yeah. I heard that. Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, so. I, think I think you're right. I yeah. think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, so uh, we're going to be talking a lot about this stuff for the next couple of weeks. It Aren't is award we? season, mm-hmm. so. Uh, the three of us will come back and talk about our predictions, uh, probably the uh, week before the Tonys, and uh, we'll s- or actually probably the day of the Tonys. We we usually record the day of the Tonys, don't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, so probably that episode. So we'll be talking about it more. But there are other things that have happened shockingly this week, and one <laughs> of them is Michael got over to City Center to see a production of Oliver. So, Michael, tell us, did you have more porridge? (laughs) Or do I want some more? Yes. (laughs) Well, I have a a slightly awkward situation here because I, uh, well, let me say, first of all, I I very much enjoyed it overall, and the audience seemed to adore it. I I do have kind of major problems with the direction by Leo de Bessonet. But um, since I'm having this uh, since I'm moderating this uh, interview and Q and A with with Raúl Esparza, who plays Fabian, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. on Tuesday, I think I'm going to not focus on that and and focus on the uh, the good things about it instead, of which there are many. Uh, there is one thing I'll, I'll mention. I'll just give myself one example. There, there's a moment in Act Two where a major character has a very, very, very significant and powerful line, and believe it or not, in this production. Um, that person has been directed to deliver that line completely upstage. And I thought, gee, you know, 
that is very surprising. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know how that could really happen uh, at this level. Uh, and here's an interesting thing that the uh, I, I always like to go to the Saturday matinees for encore shows because they have talkbacks afterwards. And at the talkback, um, Lear de Bessonet spoke very, very intelligently about um, reviving old shows uh, that have now uh, become problematic uh, and according to modern day sensibilities in terms of the, you know, the content, the, mm-hmm. the views of women or the race or mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. Uh, very, very smart. Uh, everything she said was was really right on. So I, I just thought that uh, maybe she's better as a, uh, you know, as an intellect than an actually uh, putting something like this on stage. And also maybe it's not the style that that she uh is most comfortable with because I've seen her direct uh, more contemporary works uh, that were m- far more effective. Uh, I thought this was um, didn't quite have the the um, old time golden age showbiz uh, movement and pizzazz that it that it should have in in all of its sections. But um, the cast is really really excellent. Uh, Raul is superb. Fagan. There was discussion by him uh, uh, in the in the Q and A about uh, something that I was going to ask him about. So I'll probably ask him anyway <laughs> on Tuesday. Uh, the fact that in the original novel, Fagan is notoriously uh, considered to be an extremely anti-Semitic portrayal by Dickens, uh, and uh, that was smoothed over greatly. By Lionel Bart when he wrote the musical, for which, by the way, he wrote uh, book, music, and lyrics. Uh, and so uh, it was greatly smoothed over in the writing, and 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 now in this uh, performance, uh, there is an attempt to perhaps downplay the the um, Jewishness of the character uh, even further. Uh, he, but he, uh, it's a masterful portrayal, and I think. That you'll really, really love it if you get to see this. Uh, by the way, did um, uh, I don't know if anyone's mentioned this, but I happened to notice that uh, Raoul's understudy is Gavin Lee. Oh. Isn't, isn't that interesting? Who played yeah, yeah. Bert in Mary Poppins? Mary Poppins and, yeah. and it would be interesting. To, I mean, uh, you know, God forbid that that Raoul yeah, has yeah, to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but Gavin Lee is such a warm, um, l- wonderful. Uh, presence and you know i mean at least there's bert you know so so sure non not completely non-threatening and, and sure you know uh, it would be interesting to see how fagin is in that performance anyway um i uh benjamin pajak if that's how it's pronounced absolutely adorable as oliver with a really gorgeous gorgeous voice uh demonstrated on where is love which has got to be the most shameless example of a sh- of a song being written uh to be a hit outside of a show I, I i we've made this point before at least i have that that song i mean it's so obvious to me that it that it's meant to be taken out of context as r- singing about romantic love but that's absolutely not the situation in the in the show I, oliver sings it after he's been thrown into a dungeon basically uh, uh and and put there to rot and he's he sings where is love and and where is she who i close my eyes to see and people always say he's singing about his mother i don't buy it I, I, you know and i wonder i always wondered if that was maybe a trunk song 
but mm. I'm sure if it was, I don't think that Lionel Barr would ever have admitted it. So, <laughs> um, Lily Cooper was excellent as Nancy, and I was very, very happy about that because I love her, but I thought she might have been miscast in this role only because I've never seen her play a part anything like that in terms of personality before. But she was really great, and um, like Benjamin Pajak and everyone else, uh, her British accent was quite convincing. Uh, on that note, uh, Tam Mutu was very effective as Bill Sykes, and and somehow I didn't know until this show that that he had, that his normal accent is is Brit, uh, but I found that out in the talkback. So uh, did did either of you know that? No, no, yeah, uh, that was a surprise to me. <laughs> um, and um, the fellow who played uh, Dodger uh, was good, but I thought he was somewhat oddly misdirected, and and so that first meeting between him and Oliver seemed it, it seemed to me almost like more like a sexual seduction, uh, which was a little creepy uh, because he also looked older. Uh, so I, I'm not sure what happened with that. Uh, well, th- this show is um, as originally written is the construction is so odd. Uh, you have that great opening number, food, glorious food. And then there's this song, I shall scream that spends all this time on these two minor characters who were really not that interesting. And it's about, you know, them trying to hook up with each other. Um, I don't think anyone else has mentioned it, but I, I definitely noticed that in this production, they cut fully half of that song. They start basically with the second go through of it, uh, where the widow corny starts to sing. Uh, so that's, a, that's something. And, and it seemed like a couple of the other numbers were, uh, cut down as well. That's your funeral might have been abbreviated a little bit. Um, another superfluous song that immediately follows I Shall Scream, uh, sung by The Undertaker and his wife. But at least in that number, Oliver's on stage. So it seems not not such a total non sequitur as I Shall Scream, uh, which I'm told was eliminated from the 1984 uh, Broadway revival, that very short-lived revival. Um, that had uh, Ron Moody um, and Patty Lapone in it, but oh, still only yeah, yeah. ran like ah, yeah. a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. On that note, um, I, I did uh, uh, get to speak with Raul briefly last weekend, and I uh, I asked him about a transfer, and he said that Cameron McIntosh controls the rights, and he has very definite ideas about how the show needs to be done. And I guess the the rub in this case is that um, uh, it can be very difficult to do it uh, financially and logistically because of all the children. And especially mm-hmm. depending on how many uh, boys you feel need to be in it. So I think that's what it all comes down to. And, th- and that's uh, that, that will be the deciding factor as to whether we, we do see this production on Broadway. Um, Michael, I, I haven't been, um, I don't yeah. expect to go, but my question becomes, I had heard that during Food Glorious Food, the kids are doing cartwheels. Yes, and not only during that number. I would think that if these kids are emaciated and starving, <laughs> they wouldn't have the energy to do that. That seems like a very strange choice to me. 
Yeah, they. Uh, but you know, uh, people love cartwheels, and of course, they got applause. So they're so they're in there. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, no, I, I I see what you're saying. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Uh, yeah. no, for what it's worth, I think only one or two of them do cartwheels. If that makes you well, feel they good. must be. Then they don't need any more. Then all of us should have their their food <laughs> because they are very healthy and they're doing very well. That's what should happen. I will say that um, uh, overall, the the choreography by Lauren Lataro I thought was excellent. So, uh, so she deserves uh, applause for that. Um, oh, I, I actually have a question, uh, sort of for Peter. If if you uh, remember, I mean, how, how well do you know this original stage version? I saw the original, in fact. However, yeah, but how well do you? Well, all right. These are details, so you may not remember. Okay, in that's the, fair. Go in this ahead. production, um, Bill Sykes does appear in Act One. Uh, they just have him come on, and uh, it's the equivalent of that scene they added for the movie where he brings um, a bunch of uh, stuff that he's stolen and hands it to Fagin. No lines or anything, but I think th- I'm pretty sure that was added. I'm pretty positive because I did a um, community theater production of Oliver years ago that in the stage version of the original, he doesn't appear at all till Act Two. Isn't that right? Um, I agree. Um, okay. I, uh, uh, <clears throat> I've seen several productions of Oliver, and I don't recall him showing up until Act Two. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I'm inclined to agree with that. By the way, <clears throat> um, Oliver opened um, January 6, 1963, uh, and I didn't see it until June of 64. Right. And it was the first Broadway show I ever saw. Hmm. that was tired oh oh it was a very perfunctory performance and in fact georgia brown wasn't in that night one of the first times i ever saw an understudy and um nobody seemed to give a damn at all it was amazing to me i didn't know that that could happen to shows but that's where i learned that sometimes long-run itis uh takes over the only only thing that was marvelous about it that night, <laughs> which didn't suffer from the uh, ravages of time, was the set, which was amazing by Sean Kenny. Amazing how it moved around and little things. I remember the moment when I said, whoa, this set, I've never seen anything like it. Granted, I had only seen about maybe 20 Broadway shows by that time, but still, it was amazing to me. So, uh, but yeah, I was very disappointed in Oliver in June of 64, and it closed in August of 64, and I'm not surprised. Uh, just a couple more quick things. Um, they also, uh, in a way, they added the uh, Bill Sykes' dog to this production because uh, at one point he he's walking off stage and he says, bulldog, and you hear, woof, woof. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> they didn't have an actual dog on stage. Uh, and then also, my, my last major question, I don't remember from the community theater production that we did, how is Nancy's death portrayed in the original version? Um. What I recall is that it's it's almost uh, it, it's uh, it's obscured by a piece of scenery that you, you just see him beating her, but you don't see her. So maybe that. All right. So maybe that is the same because that's what they did here. Uh, I thought uh, I know that's that's basically how it is, is in the film. I mean, you don't actually see the blows hitting. Thank God. Uh, so that's what they did here. By the way, I you know, I had almost forgotten, but I saw in 2004 a tour of a Cameron Macintosh production of Oliver at NJ Pack. Me too. Yeah. yeah. And I looked it up um, and I didn't find much about it, but it was a non-equity tour. Yeah. uh, yeah. Which is probably why I don't remember who any were the leads of the leads were. Um, So uh, 
productions are very rare, as as everyone who has written about this production has mentioned. And again, I think it's because of the kids. Um, I, there's I the wish. other issue that it's it's this weird thing where it's everyone thinks of it as a children's musical, despite the the yeah. grimness yeah. and the violence yeah. and, and you know and yeah. blah blah blah. But um, but if you're going to have a show where you're going to bring a bunch of kids, uh, what about the ticket prices? You know, <laughs> <laughs> what about them? Indeed, and that's probably. I mean, don't you think that's probably why the two the uh, the Broadway revival failed with Ron Moody and Patty Lapone? <laughs> in it, uh, uh, and, in- and Patty Lapone was a very known quantity at that time. I mean, she yes. won a Tony. It wasn't as if you know this is one of her early roles, right? Exactly. You know, comparatively yeah. speaking, it wasn't. Um, she had had a Tony nomination for Robert Bradgram long before that, so everybody knew who she was. There's no question about that. I'd like to give a shout out to um, Timothy John Smith, somebody that most of us don't know, but I'm telling you, in 2014, when he played Bill Sykes at um, Trinity in Providence. I am telling. I have never seen a performance like this. When he came on to sing my name, you could tell he was disgusted with himself. He hated himself, and somehow I don't know how it was he was able to do this. When he was killing Nancy, somehow it's it seemed like he was killing himself. It was amazing, mm. um, amazing. Because usually he's just a bully, and that's all he is. And, but he. To, to see this different side of him, that yes, he was a bully, and yes, this was what he was raised to be, and yes, he knew that this is what he had to do to survive, but he wished that he weren't this person at all. It was amazing, just amazing. So, again, it's nine years later, and I still remember him vividly, and I expect to remember him vividly for the rest of my life. Okay, so that is Oliver, which is playing an extended run yes. uh, for an extra week. Yeah, Big, really. big uh, hit. You may not be able to get a ticket, mm-hmm. but try if you can. Yeah, you have. Uh, it's playing through May 14th, so there's about a week left in the run, and you can check it out. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Michael, you got over to Carnegie Hall, sort of uh, around the block from City Center, <laughs> uh, to see Gilbert and Sullivan's Iolanthe with Master Voices. So tell us about this. I had never seen this uh, GNS operetta before, and actually, uh, uh, well, I mean, there are many that I haven't seen uh, and few that I have, but uh, one can see why it's maybe not their most famous. The um, I'm af- afraid in this case that the uh, the book, uh, the libretto by Mr. Gilbert is um, not very good, <laughs> uh, both in terms of the lyrics, but but even more so in terms of the plot, which is extremely convoluted. It's about a, a fairy who wants to marry a, a uh, well, like a, fa- a fairy who marries a mortal, but there there are fairies and more. There's one character in it, the the uh, I guess the the juvenile male young lead, who is half a fairy. Uh, <laughs> they keep saying that over and over uh, that uh, his from the from the waist up, he's a fairy, but from the waist down, he's a mortal. It's kind of like um, Og in. Uh, in uh, Finian's rainbow, Finian, Finian. I wonder if yeah. where that's where they got that idea from for that it show. Very well, be, uh, yeah. but it's very silly, and there's all this political humor that actually, um, I have to say, that kind of still holds up because it's about Whigs and Tories and conservatives and 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 liberals in uh, in in England at the time. But we, you know, we have our modern day equivalent to all that, and of course, uh, this production was done right before the coronation so people were thinking about england and london anyway um 
so the audience really, really seemed to enjoy it. And the, the cast was just fantastic. David Garrison played the Lord Chancellor, and he has an absolute bitch of a pattern number. <laughs> so, so difficult. I would say far more difficult than um, the one we probably all know. Uh, I am the very model of a modern major general from Pirates of Penzance. Um, uh, so he was phenomenal. Christine Ebersole, who, uh, you know, it's been, a, I guess it's been a while since we've seen her, I, I, at least since I have, as the queen of the fairies. Santino Fontana, who's everywhere lately, <laughs> um, as yeah. Lord Mount Ararat. And Jason Danielly as his uh, cohort, Lord Tolalalur. Uh, Ashley Fabian as Phyllis. Shireen Ahmed as Iolanthe, the title role. Philip Boykin. Uh, that amazing voice of his as Private Willis, uh, Skylar Vargas as Streffen. Uh, that's the half fairy fellow that I mentioned. There's a lot of <laughs> jokes about being half a fairy in this in this show. Uh, Nicole Eve Goldstein as Celia, Caitlin Le- LeBaron as Lila, Emmy Zenner as Fleeta, and Tyler Peck. Yeah, uh, and the dancing role is uh, of the dancing fairy. Uh, Ted Sperling uh, conducted, and this was the master voices uh, and directed. Yeah, conducted and directed. And directed. Yes, as he's been, as he's been directing yeah, all yeah. of the uh, the yeah. musicals and operettas and stuff uh, operas that the master voices uh, have done, which uh, used to be called the collegiate chorale, by the way. But uh, I guess they changed it because that name seemed a little misleading because. People aren't in college, uh, uh, or I mean, some of them may be, but some of them sure. are far beyond college. <laughs> sure. um, so, uh, yeah, that's a that's a group um, that you should put on your radar if 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 it, they're not because they really tend to do very interesting things. The last thing they did was Lady in the Dark, which is again something you rarely rarely see. Uh, so, I was delighted to be there at Carnegie Hall for this, and, and uh, despite what I said about the libretto. The music is gorgeous by Arthur Sullivan. I think he's the unsung hero of this. Well, maybe not unsung, but maybe slightly underappreciated hero of this uh, of this uh, this particular operetta, and also maybe that partnership. Um, to me, it's 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 kind of like Lerner and Lowe. Um, Lerner could be brilliant, but. Then there were times oh, when yeah. he really, really was not. Whereas if you l- look at and listen to all of those shows, including Camelot, the music is consistently fabulous. Um, and bet. I think and I think that's the same uh, with Gilbert and Sullivan. Uh, well, Gilbert- uh, especially yeah. Lowe being from Europe. I mean, look at Paint Your Wagon. Um, oh, my gosh. That, that opening number sounds like it was written by an American because it's so rollicking and American. And uh, I Am On My Way, great song, great opening number. Whatever we think of Paint Your Wagon after that, I mean, but it doesn't sound like something that uh, a European guy would write. He could really stretch himself and, and get himself into wherever he had to be, be it Scotland for Brigadoon, et cetera, et cetera. You know where I'm going. I completely agree. Mm. By the way, uh, I was there, too. Um, that night and uh, this was a brand new experience for me too while I've seen certainly the famous ones um, time and time again why is this show called Iolanthe she's barely in it (laughs) well apparently that that was a a sort of an in-joke that uh, that Gilbert would do because also do you know Patience no that's she's not she's not the leading character in that one 
Uh, so yeah, just like he thought it was amusing to do that. I see. I didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, if you were a Christine episode fan, you might've been disappointed because, um, while she was certainly trumpeted in the ads, um, she was hardly the leading lady of this. Um, she didn't show up very, very much in the show to the point to which you you might've almost forgotten that she was in it because she uh, disappears for a long, long period of time. I agree with you entirely about, uh, David Garrison and, uh, and he got the last bow and, um, I think he may very well deserve it yes um andrew palermo uh, was the choreographer did a phenomenal job especially with the fact that i do believe that that ballet dance was a last minute replacement so um so that was really nice that he had to uh, really step up and say here's what you got to do and um so that was uh, pretty impressive as you well you mean somebody other than tyler peck was supposed to do it um i bl- i'm not sure i'm right about this so i better oh, okay. i better quit while i'm behind but anyway <laughs> But Santino Fantana um, was so phenomenal in his timing with his delivery of jokes and uh, really very, very, very funny. But yes, uh, bringing down the house um, unexpectedly because we hadn't seen him um, at all during the first act. He starts the second act. And maybe this is where the tradition of you got to start the second act with a big number comes from. Um, Philip Boykin, my God, the applause that he got after it and deservedly <laughs> so. Um, you agree, Michael, right? That applause was tumultuous, right? After he finished. Well, I had forgotten how incredible his voice is. You bet. Because I hadn't heard it in quite some time. But yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, you know, wasn't he... Wasn't he crown and Porgy and Bess? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I mean, you, you know, he, uh, yeah, he's really great. And, and, but not only his voice, his, his diction sure. and his acting and you his, bet. yeah, he was That's fantastic. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, um, he, he got one of the two biggest hands of the night. Mm-hmm. And, um, but at that point in time, um, he got the biggest hand um, of anybody that uh, had performed uh, in the first act. So it was really something to see that happen. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I, I I was glad to be there, but um, I don't feel I need to see this one again. No, same here. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we're running pretty late, but Michael, give us a, a minute on Sugar at Theater Row, which is uh, – I think playing its final performance today that Peter talked about last week. It's the J2 Spotlight Musical Theater Company. So tell us about it. Yeah, Peter was pretty thorough. So I I only want to add that um, the leads, well, the entire cast, but uh, but specifically the leads of this show were just fantastic. Um, Chris Charon as Joe Josephine, Andrew Legere as Jerry Daphne, Alexandra Amadeo Frost as Sugar Cane, uh, and uh, 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 I really, really loved Richard Rowan as Osgood Fielding the Third. Uh, so he, did I. Yeah, he was just amazing. A, a friend of mine said that he had um, known him years ago, and that he he's been a, a great talent ever since he started <laughs> um, doing shows, and so. Uh, but I think it was my first experience of, and I and I thought he was just uh, wonderful. Let me put in a shameless plug here. <clears throat> um, on May seventeenth, at um, at that same space on Theater Row, uh, 
um, we're going to do a reading of my show, Musicals Without Music, which is scenes from Broadway musicals that you've never seen. Uh, and I am very happy that Richard is going to be involved with it. Oh, great. Uh, so uh, when, when I saw him, I said to Rob Schneider, who's directing the reading, uh, again, four chairs, no stage reading, just four people reading. Um, please, can we get him? He'd be wonderful. And indeed, he agreed to do it, along with Susan Jacks, Christopher Sutton, who was in my play, God Shows Up, some years ago, and Lynn Philistine, who um, I adore, uh, another CCM graduate. But uh, they'll be doing that. And if you're interested in coming to see um, scenes that you've never seen from musicals, um, scenes from Peter Pan and West Side Story and Sound of Music, et cetera, et cetera, um, by all means, email me and um, I'll let you know how you can get in. It doesn't cost a dime. So um, by all means, um, see if you are interested in coming. It's only 99 seats and um, I don't know if we'll have four people in the audience at 99, but um, if you're inclined to come and see this, um, I'd love to have you there. When you say uh, scenes that you've never seen, you don't mean because they were cut, do you? No, no. I mean, scenes that I've invented. Um, oh, so, oh, so. Scene, I, oh, I, I got, oh, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see. We'll see what the audience <laughs> thinks, if there's any audience there. But I, I do hope that uh, some people, and it'd be nice to meet some um, listeners uh, to shake hands with uh, people who have been listening that I haven't met. So anyway, and the price is right. And if you don't like it, you get what you pay for. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to the uh, trivia and musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. You can support Broadway Radio's offerings by signing up at Patreon, patreon.com slash Broadway Radio, and support all of the Broadway Radio shows. You can listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Tuner, Stitchin, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to finer podcasts, you'll find our Broadway Radio offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found on the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. And so, Peter, what do we have for an answer for last week's trivia? A musical in the early to mid-1930s has a title that would be an apt description of Sweeney Todd. What is it? Well, opening on November 28, 1934 at the New Amsterdam was a musical called Revenge with Music. Now, really, isn't Revenge with Music a great way to describe Sweeney Todd? <laughs> Juliet Green was the first to get it, followed literally four seconds later by Tony Janicki. Then Sean Logan followed, as did Paul Witte, Josh Israel, Stephen Bell, Arthur Robinson, Brigadude, Robert Bassett, a newcomer. Welcome aboard. Michael uh, Meany, Deb Popple, and Isaac Blevins. This week's question. The call letters of a radio station in Cross Plains, Wisconsin, yeah, you're going to have to Google this one, are the initials of a famous character who has been in at least one book, play, musical, TV special, animated film, and live action film. What are the call letters? Who are the character? Who's the character? And name the property too. Okay, if you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. Yeah, the, last week, uh, Juliet Green came in. I, 
<laughs> split seconds before right. Tony Janicki. Right. Just split, split something. seconds. It, it was really, really amazing. But Juliet's on the West Coast and, jo- and Tony's, you know, halfway through the country. Right. So right. she had a longer way to go. So <laughs> had to go. You have to get up early in the morning to beat Juliet Green, you know. So, That's right. Because think about, you know, she was really up early. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Our opener is the beginning of the Overture from Sugar, music by Julie Stein, which I do agree with Peter that Sugar wins over uh, Some Like It Hot on points, although I would say the point spread is a lot greater maybe than than Peter would. (laughs) Um, And our closer is, here's an interesting little thing. I, I may have mentioned that one of my Facebook friends is James Hibbard, who was a dancer in such movie musicals as... Uh, Bye Bye Birdie and um, uh, uh, Hello Dolly and Thoroughly Modern Millie. Uh, and so he posted a photo of him with, with a reunion of, of some of the uh, you know people he worked with, one of whom is Pete Menifee, who is most famous as Harvey Johnson in mm-hmm. <laughs> the telephone hour mm-hmm. in the movie of Bye Bye Birdie. So... Uh, I uh, I posted to James because he was the one who posted the photo. I said, um, I said, does anyone ask Pete Menifee? Uh, does anyone still ask him to say, hello, Mr. Hankel, this is Harvey Johnson. Can I talk to Penelope? <laughs> and then I said, but was that even his voice? Because I know that a lot of, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. performers and musicals are, are um, dubbed. Sure. So, Pete Menifee himself wrote back to said and said, what do you think? I'm a deaf mute. (laughs) He said, he said, of course, it was my voice. He said, and yes, people do still sometimes ask me to to say that. So uh, so our closer is uh, the telephone hour from the film soundtrack of Bye Bye Birdie featuring Pete Menifee as Harvey Johnson. (laughs) So on behalf of Michael Bortantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Videos this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Hello, Mr. Hankel. This is Harvey Johnson. Can I talk to Penelope? Is it true about Kim? Penelope? I just knew it somehow. About the prom? I must call her right up. Saturday? I can't talk to you now. Hello, Mrs. Miller. This is Harvey Johnson. Can I speak to Deborah Sue? Hiya, Hugo. Hiya, stupid. But you wanna go get fit. You don't know how to live. Oh, you mean you get if you could. Lost your marble. I are in love. Are you naughty? Hello, Mrs. Garfine. It's charity home from school yet. Did they really get fit? Go steady. He's you gotta go, that's the way to go. When they got you hooked, then you're really cooked. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? Kim's in love with him.